Chapter 10 of From the Heart of the Ancient Wood by Charles G. D. Roberts Read for LibriVox.org by Sandra near Montreal, 2022 The Routing of the Philistines In the seventh year of Kirsty's exile, something occurred which gave the settlement gossip a fresh impulse and added a color of awe to the mystery which surrounded the clearing. The winter changed to a very open one, so that long before spring Kruf awoke in her lair under the pine root. There was not enough snow to keep her warm and asleep, but the ground was frozen, food was scarce, and she soon became hungry. Miranda observed her growing leanness, and tried the experiment of bringing her a mess of boiled beans from the cabin pot. To the hungry bear the beans were a revelation. She realized that Miranda's mother was in some way connected with the experience, and her long reserve melted away in the warmth of her responsive palate. The next day, about noon, as Kirsty and Miranda were sitting down to their meal, Proof appeared at the cabin door and sniffed longingly at the threshold. "'What's that sniffing at the door?' wondered Kirsty with some uneasiness in her grave voice. But Miranda had flown at once to the window to look out. "'Why, mother, it's Kroof!' she cried, clapping her hands with delight, and before her mother could say a word she had thrown the door wide open. In shambled the bear forthwith, blinking her shrewd little eyes. She seated herself on her haunches near the table and gazed with intent curiosity at the fire. At this moment a dry stick snapped and crackled sharply, whereupon she backed off to a safer distance, but still kept her eyes upon the strange phenomenon. Both Kirsty and Miranda had been watching her with breathless interest to see how she would comport herself, but now Miranda broke silence. "'Oh, you dear old Kroof! We're so glad you've come at last to see us,' she cried, rushing over and flinging both arms around the animal's neck. Kirsty's face looked a doubtful endorsement of the welcome. Kroof paid no attention to Miranda's caresses beyond a hasty lick at her ear and continued to study the fascinating flames. This quietness of demeanour reassured Kirsty, whose hospitality thereupon asserted itself. "'Give the poor thing some buckwheat cakes, Miranda,' she said. "'I'm sure she's come because she's hungry.' Miranda preferred to think the visit was due to no such interested motives, but she at once took up a plate of cakes which she had drenched in molasses for the requirements of her own taste. She set the plate on the edge of the table nearest to her visitor, and gently pulled the bear's snout down toward it. No second invitation was needed. The fire was forgotten. The enchanting smell of buckwheat cakes and molasses was a new one to Kroof's nostrils, but the taste for it was there, full-grown and waiting. Out went her narrow red tongue. The cakes disappeared rather more rapidly than was consistent with good manners. The molasses was deftly licked up, and with a grin of rapture she looked about for more. Just in front of Kirsty stood a heaping dish of the dainties hot from the griddle. With an eager but tentative paw, Kroof reached out for them. This was certainly not manners. Kirsty removed the dish beyond her reach, while Miranda firmly pushed the trespassing paw from the table. No, Kroof, you shan't have any more at all unless you're good, she admonished, with hortatory finger uplifted. There are few animals so quick to take a hint as the bear, and Kroof's wits had grown peculiarly alert during her long intimacy with Miranda. 
She submitted with instant meekness and waited with tongue hanging out while Miranda prepared her a huge bowl of bread and molasses. When she'd eaten this, she investigated everything about the cabin and finally went to sleep on a mat in the corner of the inner room. Before sundown, she got up and wandered off to her lair, being still drowsy with winter sleep. After this, the old bear came daily at noon to the cabin, dined with Kirsty and Miranda, and dozed away the afternoon on her mat in the chosen corner. Kirsty came to regard her as a member of the household. To the cattle and the poultry she paid no attention whatever. In a few days the oxen ceased to lower their horns as she passed, and the cock, Saunders, equally haughty successor, refrained from the shrill expletives of warning with which he had been wont to herald her approach. One afternoon, before spring had fairly set in, there came two unwelcome visitors to the cabin. In a lumber camp some fifteen miles away on a branch of the Quadavic, there had been trouble. Two of the hands, surly and mutinous all winter, had at last by some special brutality enraged the boss and their mates beyond all pardon. Hooted and beaten from the camp, they'd started through the woods by the shortest road to the settlement. Their hearts were black with pent-up fury. About three o'clock in the afternoon they happened upon the clearing and demanded something to eat. Though sullen and with a kind of menace in their air, their words were civil enough at first, and Kirsty busied herself to supply what seemed to her their just demands. The laws of hospitality are very binding in the backwoods. Miranda, meanwhile, not liking the looks of the strangers, kept silently aloof and scrutinized them. When Kirsty had set before them a good meal— hot tea and hot-boiled beans and eggs, and white bread and butter. They were disappointed because she gave them no pork, and they were not slow to demand it. "'I've got none,' said Kirsty. "'We don't eat pork here. You ought to get along well enough on what's good enough for Miranda and me.' For a backwoods house to be without pork, the indispensable, the universal, the lumberman's staff of life, was something unheard of. They both thought she was keeping back the pork out of meanness. "'You lie!' exclaimed one, a lean, short, swarthy ruffian. The other got up and took a step toward the woman where she stood, dauntlessly eyeing them. His scrubby red beard bristled, his massive shoulders hunched themselves ominously toward his big ears. "'You get that pork and be quick about it!' he commanded, with the addition of such phrases of emphasis as the lumberman uses, but does not use in the presence of women. "'Beast!' exclaimed Kirsty, eyes and cheeks flaming. Get out of this house! And she glanced about for a weapon. But in a second the ruffian had seized her. Though stronger than most men, she was no match for him, a noted bully and a cunning master of the tricks of the ring. She was thrown in a second. Miranda, with a scream of rage, snatched up a table-knife and darted to her mother's aid, but the shorter ruffian, now delighted with the game, shouted, "'Settle the old woman, Bill. I'll see to the gal,' and made a grab for Miranda. It all happened so suddenly that Kirsty was for a moment stunned. Then, realizing the full horror of the situation, a strength as of madness came upon her. She set her teeth into the wrist of her assailant with such fury that he yelled, and for a second loosed his hold. In that second, tearing herself half free, she clutched his throat with her long and powerful fingers— it was only an instant's respite, but it was enough to divert the other scoundrel's attention from Miranda. With a huge laugh, he turned to free his mate from that throttling grip. His purpose was never fulfilled. Kroof, 
just at this instant thrust her nose from the door of the inner room, half awake and wondering at the disturbance. Her huge bulk was like a nightmare. The swarthy wretch stood for an instant, spellbound in amazement. With a savage growl, Kroof launched herself at him, and he, darting round the table, wrenched the door open and fled. The other miscreant, though well occupied with Kirsty's mad grip at his throat, had seen from the corner of his eyes that black monster emerge like fate and charge upon his comrade. To him, Kroof looked as big as an ox. With a gasping curse, he tore himself free, and, hurling Kirsty half across the table, he rushed from the cabin. His panic was lest the monster should return and catch him like a rat in a pit where there was no chance of escape. As a matter of fact, Kroof was just returning, with an angry realization that her foe could run faster than she could. And, lo, here was another of the same breed in the very doorway before her. As she confronted him, his eyes nearly started from his head. With a yell, he dodged past, nimble as a loon's neck. Savagely, she struck out at him with her punishing paw. Had she caught him, there would have been one rogue the fewer, and blood on the cabin threshold. But she missed, and he went free. He ran wildly over the snow patches in pursuit of his fleeing comrade, while Kroof, all a bristle with indignation, hurried into the cabin to be hugged and praised with grateful tears by Kirsty and Miranda. When the first of the fugitives, the lean and swarthy one, reached the edge of the woods, he paused to look back. There was no one following but his comrade, who came up a moment later and clutched at him, panting heavily. Neither for a minute or two had breath for any word but a broken curse. The big, bristly scoundrel called Bill was bleeding at the wrist from Kirsty's bite, and his throat, purple and puffed, bore witness to the strength of Kirsty's fingers. The other had got off scot-free. The two stared at each other, cowed and discomfited. "'Ever see the likes of that?' queried Bill earnestly. "'But damned if twant the devil himself,' asseverated his companion. "'Oh, hell, t'were just a bar,' retorted Bill in a tone of would-be derision. "'But bigger in a steer. I don't want none of it.' "'Bar, devil, what's the odds? Let's get, says I,' was the response. And simultaneously the two lifted their eyes to observe the sun and get their bearings. But it was not the sun they saw. Their jaws fell. Their hair rose. For a moment they stood rooted to the ground in abject horror. Right above their heads, crouched close upon the vast upsloping limb of a hoary pine, lay a panther, looking down upon them with fixed, dilating stare. They saw his claws protruding and set firmly into the bark. They saw the backward snarling curl of his lips as his head reached down toward them over the edge of his perch. For several choking heartbeats, the picture bit itself into their coarse brains. Then, with a gurgling cry that came as one voice from the two throats, both sprang aside like hares and ran wildly down the trail. Within a few hours of their arrival at the settlement, this was the story on all lips, that Kirsty's cabin was guarded by familiars, who could take upon themselves at will the form of bear, panther, wolf, or mad bull moose for the terrorizing of such travellers as might chance to trespass upon that unholy solitude. The settlement held a few superstitious souls who believed this tale, while the rest pretended to believe it because it gave them something to talk about. No one, in fact, was at all the worse for it except the ruffian called Bill, who on one of young Dave's rare visits to the settlement got into an argument with him on the subject and incidentally got a licking. End of 
Chapter 10